So welcome to 2018. If you're new to the church, we've got uh, some important milestones this year. For us, if you're, if you're part of the family, uh, this Easter we will hit six years as an organized institution, a church, which is pretty cool. We're thrilled about that. And then come June, my wife and I celebrate 25 years of marital bliss. 25 years. Yes. We're going we're gonna to go to Italy and eat. Just eat forever. And then, uh, and then a month later in, in July, our, our son gets his license and my insurance rates go up. Hallelujah. Yeah, for sure. Now, I'm not rejoicing. So uh, milestones. We all have them. Milestones are really important. And I hope if you've been with us for a while, you're starting to see that God in his goodness is giving us some milestones. For us as a church, we're driven by helping people experience life in Jesus. Helping people experience life in Jesus. That doesn't change. We're here to worship God and know him and enjoy him. And then help people along. Say, look, this is the Savior and you can follow him too. That doesn't change. But along the way, God in his goodness puts some stuff in our path, some stones in our path that we can look to and say, okay, this is how we help people experience life in Jesus, And one of them that we're kind of in the middle of over the course of a year, it's subtle, but I don't want you to miss it, is that there is room for more. We just had that as a, a long series in Romans 12. That there is room for more of God's presence in our life. There's room for more of the Spirit working through us. There's room for more of us living like Jesus' family. In other words, in order to help people experience life in Jesus, I cannot become content with all. I've got, I've got it. Here I am. No, there's always room for God to grow us. So now as we continue, and we're going to look at Romans 12, verse 9, we're going to see one of the ways that we want our capacity to increase, and it is love, real love. And in order to make uh, verse 9, which is the one thing we're going to look at today, make sense, we need to start at uh, Romans 12, verse 1, because so many of us are new or Strangely enough, people don't remember everything that is said, which is very strange to me. I remember it. Um, a little start in Romans 12. Just kidding. Verse 1. Uh, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and his pleasing and his perfect will. So many people want to know, what, what does God want for my life? What's God's, it's the number one question. What's God's will for my life? And here we see that you would continue to be more like Jesus in your today and in your future. God's will is less about do you pick red or blue? Do you wear color or grayscale? The answer is always grayscale, people. No, it's, it's not about those things. It's about becoming more like the one who loves you. Becoming more like Jesus. So what difference does following Jesus then make in day-to-day -day life? If it's about being transformed, what difference does Jesus following make? Well, over time... The way we think is going to change. You're transformed in the changing of your mind. God begins to give you his way. His way is always better, always righter, always the path of life. So as my way 
gets shaped into his way, then I see what God is like, and I can become more like him. Now, what difference does it make for us as a church? Just keep reading. Um, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to every, each, every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather uh, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members. And then he's going to go off and talk about how we're connected. But what's the first area that needs to be transformed? It's the area of self, pride. How am I going to become more like Jesus? I'm going to need to face my own pride. Pride says what I have is more important or what I'm doing is most valuable or I am better than. So God wants to reshape us into his image. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit live perfectly separate and perfectly united. They're one. So Jesus always does the will of the Father. And the Spirit doesn't say anything that Jesus didn't say first. You don't see the Father lording it over the Son. You don't see the Spirit spilling the secrets on the Father. God is united and one. And so what he wants for us is to let go of pride. Not the good pride of like, wow, a job well done. That's, that's nothing wrong with that. But that self-elevating spirit that we have because we're born or living in the U.S. of A. God's country. As if God doesn't care about anybody else. So what God wants to do is to put a right connectedness in your view of yourself and the people around you. You matter, but here's the thing. So does everybody else. Verse 4. Just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ, in Jesus, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others, and that's the key. Part of growth is recognizing you matter, but you matter in the story of the church. You matter to Jesus, but it's never you and Jesus. It's always we and Jesus. We need one another because that's how God created the human race. He created us to function, not alone, but to be in community, one with, with, with another. So... We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. Teaching, teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So all of these, we looked at it. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us so that we can find, I can find my fit, my place, do my part all the while recognizing I am just one piece of God's big story. And so, God, I want to honor you, and I need everybody else. And when we all see following Jesus as an us thing and that you matter to the people seated around you, then we realize that as a family, the world will know, Hillsborough will know, and Beaverton will know, and all of the Portland metro area will know that Jesus is the game changer because this is not normal. Normal is you and your tight-knit family and your friends and to hell with everybody else. That's normal. And I said hell in church. That's normal. Our worldview and our cultural worldview is you fight for what's yours. And if someone gets in your way, you kick them to the curb because in the end, you're the person that matters. You're the ultimate. And in Jesus, we realize no, 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 no. 
Jesus is the ultimate, and his body and his world matter. So I'm going to make myself low so that God will lift you up. And that is just not, that's just weird, and that is the way of Jesus. All right, so how do we follow this way? Love. What we're going to see is in the rest of Romans 12 and 13, even in the 14 and sliding into 15, and to the end of the letter, if you want to know how to become like Jesus, we're going to have to discover what real love is. So look at verse 9. We're going to look at just verse 9. But let's, let's read 9 through 13 because it gives the larger story. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be jo joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction, which sounds like an oxymoron. Faithful in prayer, which is a struggle for everybody. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So we all have the Holy Spirit. He just went through a litany of the ways that the Spirit shows himself to be God in and through us. And then he says love. So what Paul does is he shifts here. This is a turn. He goes rapid fire and starts hitting at ways that all could be brought back to a conversation on love. So, okay, I keep using the word, but we're not meaning the same thing. So help me out. When I say the word love, what comes to mind? Love. I'm sorry? Agape. God's love towards us. Another one. Commitment. Another one here? Phileo, friendship. Another one. People know Greek in this church. This is getting weird. <laughs> anyway, they've read their Bible. Anyone else? I'm sorry? Eros. Eros. Ooh, getting a little excited in here. Okay, so we, we obviously know the, we know the Greek words, that there are multiple words in the, in the Greek language to express a concept. Give me one or two more in English, preferably. Valentine's Day. Oh, red is our theme. Oh, how funny. Okay. Yeah, one more. Someone over here. Sacrifice. You see, when, when we say the word love, all sorts of things come into view. Now, what we're going to do is over the next couple of weeks, I, I, well, eventually we're going to speed up, but I feel like the calling to slow down more. We're going to look at line by line, a few words a Sunday, to drill out and get us on the same platform when it comes to what love is. Because if we're going to express it, we need to be on the same page on what it means and what it doesn't mean. So three things this morning that we can look to that start a foundation. These aren't the only, but I want to build out something this weekend that we can grow into over the coming year. Number one, write these down. Three things that we see in this verse about love. Number one, real love is sincere. Real love is sincere. It's the beginning of the verse. Love must be sincere. But because you're all Greek scholars over here, at least a few of you, the word here, when Paul writes it, he doesn't even use, he doesn't even use a verb. He, he says it this way, the love sincere. Now in English, to make sense, we have to love must be, love ought to be, love has to be sincere. But he, he just even skips the verb. He's just assuming when we say love, we're talking about sincerity. Well, what does it mean to be sincere? The word here means not hypocritical. The love that's not filled with hypocrisy. And the word picture, if you're reading this, if you're, in Rome, reading this letter, you know exactly what he means. The word hypocrite had to do with play acting. The actors 
on the stage were hypocritical in that they were pretending to be something that they weren't. So the, the very word goes around the idea of love that's not really there. It's just a show because you're on a stage and you're fulfilling your part. And what he says here is in God's family, when we're talking about love, it shouldn't be an act. Love one for another should not be face and smile on Sunday and stab you in the back on Monday. Love for us should be without hypocrisy. Let me pause to say that is why so many people are intrigued by Jesus but scared of the church because they have seen and heard love that is play acting. They've seen and heard one thing on Sunday and then I found out the real story by Tuesday and if that's following Jesus, I want none of it. Now, those with that view need to be lovingly reminded that we're all jacked up. And when you recognize, look, Christians are jacked up, non-Christians are jacked up. We all need grace. We all need God's mercy. We all need a second chance. Then you can realize that, yeah, that church is the place where we can grow in real love. But until people are willing to take that leap, we have a real hurdle because they've seen stuff that they shouldn't see. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. This is great. Don't put on a show, really love them. Now, as uh, many of you who have been here know, my wife and I were born in New York. And even though we live in one country, the way we speak to one another, the way we interact, is actually situational. It depends on where you're from. So if you're born and raised in Oregon, you may not realize not everyone interacts the same way that Oregonians do. So we're New Yorkers, and, and if you're in, from the East Coast, particularly the Northeast, definitely in the bigger cities, the way we respond to one another is with bluntness. Bluntness, straight up. Stop wasting my time. Get to it. And you move on. So if you're calling, if you're in customer service or you're in business, you're calling someone from New York, don't start with, hey, what's the weather like, blah, 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 blah. Time is money. Move on. Ask the question. Done. And if you don't, if you don't recognize that, here's why this is important. You're going to think New Yorkers are rude, and they're not. It's just a culture of get it, get it done. And when I want to hang out, I'll go hang out with my friends. I just want to get our conversation done. Because I have a lot to do. So straight up, tell it like it is. Now, if you're not used to that, that could be seen as weird. I call it normal. Now, we've also, though, lived in, in, in many parts of the country. We lived in the South, and we've lived in the Midwest. So we, we've, we've seen uh, different ways of expressing. And I think in the South, especially the Deep South, and in the Midwest, there's a culture of niceness. There's just a culture of niceness. So when we lived in Charlotte, this is no joke. You would wave to every car that went by, no matter who was in the car. <laughs> Dead serious. You're in a neighborhood, and someone goes by, you know, and everyone, and a guy is sir, and a lady is ma'am, and there's actual hospitality, and people are genuinely nice. And it shows up in conversation, and you're like, wow, I feel like moving here. This is amazing. What you don't know is that the culture is niceness when you're there. But what you'll find is that when you're not there, you can get torn apart. We lived in East Texas, and we're New Yorkers living in East Texas. It's like a, it should be a, you know, on Netflix. And, 
And so we're, we're with a friend who lives there, and we go to the supermarket, and, and she sees her friend. And so and with this, all the chatting goes on with it. And she tells her how great she is and wonderful in her family. And then her friend walks away, and then she tells us the real story. And I am floored. I'm like, if this is how you treat your friends, I am scared of your enemies. Because, like, you were just all in, you're glowing, and then she walks away, and suddenly we get the real deal. I, I didn't understand it, but my point is, when we say love, when we say affection, we don't mean the same thing. So, Northwest, or Northeast bluntness, or East Coast bluntness, and then you have niceness. And then you have the West Coast, which I call the culture of avoidance. <laughs> Absolute avoidance. So you can have a two-hour conversation. You can go to coffee for two hours and not talk about anything. Or if there's something that's going to come up, it just never comes up. Why? Because we, we just feel like we can't bring up the, the issue because it may be offensive and da da da, da and blah, blah, blah. And that's just, that's just the way our culture works. And we laugh at it. Stereotypes are there, though, for a reason. Because there's some real truth to it. Now, why do I bring this up? And I'm, I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying we should all convert to the culture of bluntness, right? Uh, but God never calls us to act, to play, to pretend. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to learn and grow. Remember, don't conform to the pattern of this age, of this world, but be transformed in the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. We have to recognize when we say we're called to love sincerely, our culture has a view of love and interaction that we need to discern. That's all I'm saying. We need to discern the culture that we live in and the way people treat each other. And just because we live in the Northwest does not mean we ought to act like those in the Northwest. We ought to act like Jesus living in the Northwest. And so we have to think about the way people treat one another. And so what that means is if you're from a culture of bluntness, we need to grow in grace and truth and not tear people apart quickly just to move on. We need, we need to slow down a bit. If we're living with a mindset of niceness, that's okay as long as you're nice when they're gone. And that we love and respect people and we treat them with dignity and with care and don't play the game of with them nice and apart, I'll, I'm going to say the real thing. And then the same thing for us. I think for those of us who are living or, or are from Northwest mindset, we have to deal with stuff. Love does not put things off. Love does not avoid. Real love confronts the issues. And that's going to be hard for some of us. But that's what it means to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. So let me just ask, are we pretending in the way that we love one another? In the people that you know that love Jesus who are part of this church, are we play acting? Is it a show? Because that's what Christians are nice when others are around. Or do we ask God to grow us this year in a love that's genuine, that's from the heart. Love for the Jesus follower must be sincere. That's the first thing. That's not the only one. There's two more that I want to look at this morning. Secondly, real love hates evil, which is comical when you stop and read that. Real love hates, which sounds like, I thought Christians shouldn't be hateful. We're the ones who are supposed to be loving. Well, the two go together because real, genuine 
biblical love is based on truth. That there is right because that is God. God is right by his very nature. And so things that are unlike God are, by their very nature, wrong. And so real love is going to say, things that are right, I need to hold on to. Things that are wrong, I need to, I need to think about. If you were to take this literally in the original language, we are called to be horrified by what is evil. Hate what, what is evil. Better translation, be horrified by it. Are the things that God is horrified by worrying you? You see, love is more than an emotion. It's more than a feeling. It's more than a desire. It's more than warm fuzzies. Love is based on truth. And let me tell you, you read the Bible and you realize God is angry. He is angry. He's not angry at individuals because he dislikes them while he likes others. He's absolutely just. The things that are unlike him he wants removed. And they, they anger him, so he acts. Now, he is not mean, and there's a huge difference. But real love hates evil. Now, I need to say this with a very loud voice, so I'll say it quietly. I'm not talking about people. We don't hate people. That's unlike Jesus. But we hate behavior that is unlike God. And if we don't, here's the problem. If we don't learn to discern, real love is going to reject a lot of the things that our culture affirms. Real love is going to see the way people are treating one another and it's culturally okay. Because if you have more, you could do what you want. And real love is going to step in and say, it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. You're both human and you're both made in the image of God. And you, to think because you have more, you can treat this person this way, that is wrong and it's an offense to God. Real love is going to act on evil. And so you say, well, well how, do I, how do I actually step into this? Jesus told his disciples. These are beautiful and horrifying words. John 13. Look at the screen and write it down. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That makes sense, right? My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. What I want you to look at is the phrase, anyone who loves me comes to church on Sunday. Anyone who loves me occasionally reads their Bible when it's convenient and there's nothing new posted on everyone else's social media site. Anyone who loves me will obey. The mark of love is that we hear what is right and is good from God and we actually go in that direction. And here's the good news. God says, we, this is Jesus, my Father, we will make our home with him. In other words, God wants you to walk in his ways and he's like, I'm not just telling you walk in my ways. I'm actually going to go with you. I'm going to get you to my ways, which is so encouraging. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you do. We're all trying hard, and Jesus has grace. Jesus says, if, you don't, if you're not obeying his teaching, you actually don't love him. Now, that doesn't mean that if you ever fall short, you don't love him. No, no, no. 
He makes his home with you. But if in your heart you're a hypocrite, you say you love God, but you don't care about what he says, you don't really love him. Now God's word to you this morning is to have a love that's sincere. That's without hypocrisy, which may mean confessing to God what he already knows. I'm playing a game, and I don't want to. I actually want your presence, you with me and me with you, so that I can live the way that is full of blessing. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. That's Jesus' disclaimer. Don't get mad at me. Some of you, it's funny, body language, and the more you speak in public, you can read body language. Everyone was happy until the last 60 seconds. And then suddenly everyone shifts back in your seat, slowly crosses arms, because to say that you don't love God is offensive. No, it's actually truthful. If you have no intention of following the way of Jesus and patterning your life after what God has revealed about himself, then I want you to love God, but you don't. And I'm not going to judge you. God, I don't, I don't know you. But God in his goodness is looking. He's looking for people who actually love him. So real love takes God seriously and real Love takes his word seriously, scripture seriously. So before we make excuses and say, well, that's great, but I don't know if we can really know God's ways. Look at what, what he says, verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father is going to send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. No excuses. Jesus said if you're one of his followers, he's given you his Holy Spirit, you know his ways. And you know what's right and you know what's wrong. You know what our culture says is good, but what God says is grieving. And so you have the Holy Spirit. And if you're ever wondering, you can actually call on God and say, God, I'm a little stuck here and I really don't know, because he knows the heart, he knows if you're playing. I really don't know which way I should go. And guess what? The Holy Spirit will guide you. You don't need to email me. The Holy Spirit, well, you can if you want. I'll, I'll answer you. As best as I can from what God has said. But you know what God has said because Jesus said he's giving you the spirit. And by the way, which is another reason, another one of 10 million reasons why my eyes ought to be gazing on what God has said. Because if I want to know what God is saying, I need to know what God has said. And if I don't care about what God has said, how can I know what he's saying? And if I don't know what he said and I don't know what he's saying, how am I going to love him? When I don't obey his commands. So this requires intentionality. So the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. And I'm saying to you, if you feel like you're falling short, join the club. This year, we're going to grow and we're going to express real love to God by humbling ourselves and getting on our knees and crying like babies. And if you're not a crier, pretend. Cough. <coughs> do whatever you do. But it's going to require... Every one of us, from the, from the top down, whoever the top is, every one of us having a heart that's humble and repentant continually. Because what the Holy Spirit does is he digs up the real you. And the real you sometimes isn't as pretty as the fake you. But the Holy Spirit offers mercy and grace to say, oh, by the way, in Christ, that old you is gone. So you're acting like the old you, but in Christ, pictured in baptism, there is the new you filled with God's presence. And by the way, the new you can say no to sin. And the new you can say yes to God. So don't go 
buying the lie that you can't because the old person is gone. By the way, I was just speaking to some of you, and you didn't know it, but now you do. All right. Real love, though, hates evil. So real love is never going to make excuses. Real love is not going to overlook injustice. Real love is going to be aware of suffering. Real love is going to be a voice to the voiceless. Real love doesn't pretend. And so, so is this the kind of love that we want as God's people? All right, we know that real love is sincere. Real love hates evil. The third one is the same thing in reverse. Write it down. Real love clings to what's good. Hate what's evil, Romans 12, 9 says, cling to what's good. So, so far the conversation has gone negative. Sorry. You're like, don't do this, don't do that, obey. Okay, well, the same thing could be said with a positive spin. Real love not only hates that which God hates, real love loves what God loves. It clings to what's good. The word here in first century life could be used to glued together. So real love is glued. It's never used that way in the Bible, but the, pic, the word picture is glued, bound together to that which is good. It was, though, used in talking with the love for a husband and a wife. A husband clings to their wife, holds on as most important and treasured. So just like a marriage relationship should be the most treasured relationship, so for the Father of Jesus, real love holds on to what's good. We don't just call out evil. We actually reject it. Why? Because if my grip is on what's good, I, I, ha I don't have a hand free to hold on to what's evil. So, the, so I, I want to avoid evil. Great. Grab on to good. And so it's not just about saying no to something and, oh, being a Christian is so obnoxious because you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do the other. Yeah, you can't self-destruct or you shouldn't, right? That, 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 that we're saying no to things that God says are toxic. So let's be real. Okay, we have to reject poison. Congratulations. But we can look at it on the positive. We get to hold on to all that God loves. And when I hold on to what's good, my grip will be so tight that I will not have room to step out. Now, that sounds good, but that's harder to live out, isn't it? And this is why this is not just one message to give you a pep talk, you know, to start your year, eat better, lose weight, get more active, be the better you. Now, I hope you do that. Congratulations. But really, what we need is God. And if you get one thing out of this morning, it's that it is God's love that gives me the ability to love. So this year, get ready to be challenged. If you feel like we haven't been very challenging as a church, we're up in the game. There will be New Yorker moments. I feel it in my soul. There will be New Yorker moments where you're like, whoa, he just said that. And I hope that it's filled with grace and truth because Jesus is 100% grace and 100% truth. Now I'm getting there. I'm in process, right? I want to be 100% grace, 100% truth. But sometimes we need New Yorker moments where, where someone just stands up and tells it like it is and says, Jesus' way is better. Choose. Other moments we're going to have to cry together because we realize even though we know what's true, we keep stumbling and falling 
And yet we don't want to give up hope because God doesn't give up hope on us. And so we're going to need tender moments together. In other words, we need each other, which brings the whole conversation back to Jesus. Apart from Jesus, none of this is impossible. And I think one of the reasons so many people have found Christianity to be so less than helpful is because they've tried it without Jesus. Like I, I, I tried. I, I, went, I did the, you know, the 10 steps. I went to church. I dressed more appropriately. I gave to good causes. I, you know, I stopped doing all the stuff. Well, I, well, I stopped doing two things that I was doing. And I, I read the Bible. I didn't understand it, but I kept reading. And, I, you know, I, I went to a community. I, and I still am unchanged. And I would say, like, absolutely. You can try living like Jesus apart from Jesus and be depressed. But what we get, if you're a Jesus follower, is to live like Jesus with Jesus. And that's a game changer. So the invitation is always, I'm a one-hit wonder. The invitation is always follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And when in doubt, follow him today. Because like our little young friend, she wanted her older family friend to be there when she got baptized. Guess what? He passed away. And he wasn't able to be there. But that opened up her eyes of little Adelaide to say, well, I should, I should just get baptized now rather than waiting. Don't wait. Every one of us here has something to repent of. To repent is to have a change of mind. Be transformed in the renewal of your mind. Repentance isn't like, oh, I'm evil and I'm not worthy. Repentance is, God's smarter. I'm going to go with him. <laughs> and so if we know of something we need to repent of, this is our opportunity now here for us as a community to start the year and say, Jesus, we repent of the things, whatever they are, the memories, the fears, the arrogance, whatever it is. I want to start and I want to I come clean so that I can receive real love. Now, God already loves you, but as you receive more and more of his presence in your life, you're going to have a capacity to love other people because it's not going to be your love. It's going to be God's love filtered through your body, which is incredible. So you can and you will, but this is a partnership, and you can resist God for a while. In the end, he's going to beat you. So don't play games, but you can resist him, and I'll just say, why? Like, why? So give up trying to live like a Christian apart from Jesus, and this morning, actually become a Christian, and follow Jesus, and then experience real love. This morning is our Baptism Sunday. As I said earlier, uh, if you've not yet been, I, I could tell you, New Yorker moment, I could tell you if you're obeying. If you have chosen to follow Jesus and have not been baptized in water, you're disobedient. Straight up. Now, Jesus still loves you, and we still accept you, and I don't know who you are. But you can't say you're obedient when, when in 2,000 years of church history, the first thing a Jesus follower does is goes in the waters of baptism. And, and you have 3,000 excuses to say, I'm not doing it today. And you have one reason to say, I should do it today. And the one reason is Jesus saying, do it today. That's it. So if we can't obey in the small, friend, it's hard to obey in the big. So that's not a, I'm not downing you. I'm just, I'm going to call it out. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, 
for the forgiveness, the cleansing of your sin. And there's, now there's tons more. If you've already been baptized, God's in your face too, okay? So don't, don't, pride says, yeah, those people, they should get baptized. And then Jesus said to the rest of you, you should live generous. Stop being stingy. Oh, now here we go. Now we go. Okay. I'm done with New Yorker. Okay. <laughs> Lord, help us. All right, Lord, here we are. And we're your people and we confess. Every single one, young and old, new to Jesus, not yet following, or saints who've been walking with you for 30, 40 plus years. We repent. We turn our mind, our thoughts, our hearts to you. And we say to you, Lord Jesus, the things that are unlike you, help us to hate them as much as you do. And then give us the power, Holy Spirit, to say no to the things that are not helpful and to cling, to be glued, to hold on to all that is of you, all that is good. This year, Lord, we're asking for an increase of real love, you to us and us to the world we live in. We pray in Jesus' name.